0: Whoa!
1: I have to start out with a little bit of an apology because I was a bit remiss. Normally, I would have already, actually a couple programs ago, have reminded all of you that we should be fasting. But you probably knew that anyway. If you've listened to this program for any amount of time, especially for maybe over some years, hopefully you have, you would probably have known that it was time to fast because what we have coming up this week is the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. And that is preceded, as are other major feast days in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, and actually the whole church east and west, if you go back far enough, but these major feasts are preceded by a time of preparation, which is penitential. If it's penitential, it means it has to be fasting, self-denial, discipline, and confession. That's right. And increased prayer and charity. Now, we talk about that a lot, as you know, when it comes to the great fast, which is what we call Lent. But there are other fasting periods. In fact, the preparation for Saints Peter and Paul, which is June 29th, celebrated by both churches, East and West, the feast of Saints Peter and Paul is preceded by a fasting period that is about 40 days long. It's a pretty long fasting period. It was maybe perhaps a little bit surprising that there be such a major penitential period for two saints, but of course they are two saints, two great saints, extraordinary saints, pillars of the church. They were the two that are most crucial in the very origin and beginning of the church as we know it, from that time of Christ and when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and the conversion of Paul and he preached to the Gentiles, brought the church beyond just the Jewish people. So obviously they are major, major, major players, the most major players. Perhaps that's why the church, the Eastern churches at least, has instructed us to have this penitential period. Now, as I mentioned, I have to apologize for not mentioning it this year, but I trust that hopefully you knew about it anyway. So you got just a little short time, to fast, a mini time to fast because the feast is upon us. And once we do ex- celebrate the feast, we don't fast anymore. So that's pretty good, huh? Even if it's on a Friday. That's right. Now, Friday is still always a day of penance, a day of fasting, especially at least at the very minimum from meat or meat products. Ideally, if you really want to do it correctly, it would be meat and even it would actually even be fish if you wanted to do it in the fullness of the spirit of the fast of Friday. Because what it is, it's basically, see, we have to understand this. When we are asked to abstain from things like meat or meat products in the church, it really means, if you stretch it a bit into a fuller meaning, it really means animal products, including fish. Now, the church has traditionally allowed for fish, which is a bit of a compromise. It's still within the bounds of fasting because you're, you're really pulling away, abstaining from from meat, you know, from the real fatty foods like meat and meat products. Those foods are associated with celebration, as we do. And certainly those of you who have practiced the Easter basket, the Pasco meal, the Pasco breads and meats and stuff like that on Easter, if you've practiced that, you know what I'm talking about, that we return back to those very, very fatty, tasty, rich foods that we abstain from during Lent. But when we talk about fasting in the church, we generally also mean, if you again, if you stretch it to its fullness, it would actually mean anything that has to do with meat or meat products or animal products. So basically, we become vegans when it comes to fasting periods, and we're supposed to be basically vegan on Friday. And if you want to take it even further, I'm sure you do, because you all want to be saints, and that's what we do. Saints are about heroic virtue. They're not just about mediocrity. We all want to be saints, right? So, of course, you want to take the fasting to its next level. And if you do, then the tradition of the church would be to fast on Friday and on Wednesday. Wednesday and Friday, Friday being the more strict fast. And this would be basically going vegan on those two days, especially on Friday. But not just that. It also means confession. It also means added prayer. It also means anything else that you can abstain from, any increased prayer, increased scripture reading. You don't have to do that in major ways. You can do it in smaller ways, incremental ways. But the idea is that there is something very different about these days of penance. It's not just one thing. Oh, I give up meat. I didn't have a hamburger that day on Friday. That's so minimal. Even then, many Catholics don't do it because they have the erroneous assumption that we don't have to do that anymore. That is not true. The church never changed Friday from being a day of penance, and ideally, traditionally, Wednesday as well, but especially Friday. And because of that, the minimum and the traditional means to observe that day of penance is to abstain from meat and meat products. What the church did do, especially during the Second Vatican Council, is take into consideration people's situations in the modern world, because that's what a lot of the Second Vatican Council did. It tried to bring the church to interface more effectively with the modern world. Now, I know Vatican II is a whole other subject, but basically that's what was going on. It was largely a pastoral council. In other words, how how can the church pastorally meet, draw people to a deeper commitment to Christ, a deep understanding of our faith, of Catholicism, and so on? How can it do that in the modern world? And so what it did in terms of meet on Friday, it simply said that, okay, we realize that circumstances are such that people may not be able to observe perfectly or strictly no meet on Friday. So what the church said is, if you can't observe that, notice I said if you can't, not not You don't have to or you don't want to. If you can't, let's say you're at a company meal, right? They're having a company banquet or lunch or something, and you're served meat, and it's Friday. Well, the the greater charity remember charity always trumps everything charity would say okay eat what is served because that's being polite it's being cordial you don't want to make a scene you don't want to stand out you want to be like give the impression for example that you're being a little bit holier than thou or something oh well i can't eat this because we abstain from meat on friday you just quietly eat what is served that's charity but then you do something else that is penitential maybe go to confession read the scripture more Abstain from something else that day. You know, it's not just food. When we're practicing penance, it's not just food. That's a big part of it, but it's not just that. It could be abstain from using your phone so much, from texting, watching TV, going on the computer, internet, pull back from that. Have quiet time, do some reading of scripture, talk to your spouse, family member, talking about God, go for a walk, have some quiet peace listen to good music. Do something like that that is different and keeps you more rooted in spirituality. See, that's the point of it all. So as we lead up to major events, just like this one with the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, we want to be able to understand the real meaning, the why, the real why and the spirit behind preparing for feast days. Now, this particular feast day, Peter and Paul, as I mentioned, is it's very big in the church, east and west, because Peter and Paul were big. In fact, in the icon of Saints Peter and Paul, you'll often see them standing together, kind of facing each other. In icons, it's always a three quarter view. It's never, or, or straight on view or three quarter view. Seldom is it ever a side view, a full side view. It's usually three quarter or f- straight on view. So they're standing in a kind of a three quarter, between a, kind of between a three-quarter and a front view, the two of them together facing each other. And they're both holding together a church, a model of a church in their hands. And what that is saying is that these two men were, in fact, the foundation of the church as we know it, as Christ established it. They're holding up the church, the, the supports, the pillars of the church, these two men in particular. Peter being the head of the church, the head of the apostles, and Paul having a very special encounter with Jesus Christ, a very special, mystical, real encounter that enabled him to take the gospel to the rest of the world, beyond the Jews, and also to write these brilliant letters and epistles about Jesus Christ, about who Jesus Christ really was, You know, they didn't fully understand. They had to grow in their fullness and their understanding. Yes, the apostles did eventually believe, yes, that he was God, that he rose from the dead and so on. But to truly understand the mystery of Jesus Christ, God who becomes man while remaining God, that evolved, that developed. They deepened in that. The apostles were given all the presence of the Holy Spirit, the charism to understand and to believe. But they, like you and I, they had to grow in that. When we come back, we're going to talk more about saints and their place in the church and in our worship. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is
0: Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East.
1: Back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host, on this day in which we look towards, well, a very small, <laughs> a very small, short time to do penance in preparation for what we look forward to the great feast of Saints Peter and Paul. And as I mentioned, I apologize for not reminding you about that fast a few weeks ago, but I trust that you knew about it anyway, even without my reminder. The whole devotion to saints in the church, especially with great ones like Peter and Paul, is something that's very, very evident in the liturgy, not only the liturgical calendar, but in the liturgical worship of the church, especially in the Eastern churches. We're very, very, very big. And the West is, too, as well, just in in the Eastern churches, which is primarily what we deal with here, of course. We're focusing on how the saints are made alive, made relevant through the liturgy of the church. First of all, as I mentioned, we have feast days. We take very seriously for the saints. Each day in the Byzantine calendar, every day, there is at least one or more saints commemorated on that day. And there could also be an event, such as in the life of Christ, the Virgin Mary, which preempts the celebration of that saint. However, the saint is not totally forgotten. And if there is not a major event from the life of Christ or the Virgin Mary, then what takes precedent for that day, the focus of the prayer of that day, is the saint. And in fact, we have what's called the Synaxarion. It's also called the Prologue of Oakwood, which I highly recommend you have in your homes. Synaxarion or Prologue of Oakwood. This book comes actually in a—sometimes it's in two volumes, sometimes four. Depends on the publisher. Mine is in four volumes. It was actually published in Serbia. It ultimately comes from the Serbian church, but it's very old. It covers— the history of the saint of the church. And in this book, which like I mentioned, it's so timely, it's so relevant. I, I recommend it for every family, every household, whether you're single, married, with children, without children, whatever, every household should have this Synaxarian. And it, to me it's I find it very exciting because I love to read the next day, especially in the evening, because the evening begins the next day. I love reading who the who our little hero, who the saint's gonna be the next day. In fact, following it as much as I have over the years as a priest, because it's part of our divine office, part of our prayer life, I can actually, in many, many days, I can actually predict who that saint's going to be. I know which saint's feast day is coming up. And if they're not major ones, it's oftentimes very, very minor ones, ones that maybe we, we didn't even hear of, but I can actually predict those, which is it's kind of fun because it shows you what the effect, the influence can be of being as consistent as possible with the divine office. You actually start to incorporate it into your very being, which is the whole point. I can actually predict who the saint's going to be for that day or even a couple of days down the line. I can't always, but oftentimes I do. And it comes from simply immersing myself in the divine office of the church. It's amazing what that does for you. So in the days in which we have observance of a saint, which we do every day, In those days, there's a specific hymn to the saint of that day. We call it tropars or kentakians, and sometimes even what we call vesper tones or matin tones. They have other names, but basically they're dogmatic hymns from the divine office and the vespers and matins of that day, which mentioned that saint. So, And that, that happens actually at all of the different... Prayer services of the day, the hours, the matins, the vespers, and the liturgy. So the saint is mentioned with their specific hymn. And by hymn, I mean it's an articulation of why the saint was great and how they fit into the whole theology of things. And it always ends up by asking them to pray for us. We always ask for their intercession because the intercession of saints is very, very powerful. We're very dependent upon that. We're very serious about that in Eastern churches. So the tropar in our church is called tropar and These are just ancient words for these dogmatic hymns that are relative to each particular saint. As we pray those hymns, they basically follow the pattern of describing the saint, and usually it's very poetic, and describing their significance theologically what they did in their life, if they were martyrs and so on, or if they wrote something or whatever was their heroic virtue, we describe that and then we end that dogmatic hymn by asking for their intercession. We always ask for the intercession. So why do we do that? Why do we pray for saints? A lot of people ask that. Why do we pray for, to, and with saints? We do that because, well, think of it this way. If you wanted to ask somebody who you know was very important, you wanted to ask them for something, a big favor, a a special kind of consideration, don't we oftentimes go to somebody else and ask them to ask for us? Or, I know when we were kids, we used to do that a lot. Maybe you remember that. If you had an older brother or sister and you wanted something from mom and dad that you thought they'd say no to, you would say, hey, can you go and ask mom and dad for this or that? Another example would be, on a more negative, unfortunate example, but it still works. Let's say that you are being charged with something, a crime, or, the, or even something less, or like the policeman said that you, you were speeding, gave you a ticket, and you didn't think you deserve the ticket, or uh, it's something uh, on a greater level where you actually need a lawyer. Why do we get what we call an advocate or a lawyer to speak for us? Can't you just march into court and say, I didn't do it, I'm innocent, so find me innocent, we wouldn't do that. Some people try to represent themselves, but it's not a wise idea. Because when we go to represent ourselves to plead our case, okay, we can do that. But in the case, for example, in court, we have a lawyer do it. Why? Because they do it better. They amplify our request. We might say, we don't deserve this traffic ticket, or we're innocent of what we're accused of. But if we say it through a lawyer it amplifies, gives greater credibility, greater persuasiveness to our claim, to our request. It's the same thing we pray to saints. We pray to them, with them, because it amplifies our request. We, in a sense, sort of glob on to the saint who's already close to God. So if we sort of unite ourselves with the saint, then we're making ourselves a little closer to God. So our request is going to be amplify. It's going to be magnified, more intimate. And that's why we ask the saints to ask for us. Yes, we can go directly to Jesus Christ, as we should. We should pray, of course, directly to God, to the Virgin Mary. But to pray to and with the saints amplifies our prayer. In fact, when we are in the liturgy, in the worship of the church, the liturgical setting, What's happening is, in that liturgy, is we're actually joining ourselves with the saints in prayer to God. See, the saints, the angels in heaven, are in a state of perpetual prayer and bliss with God. And what we do in the liturgy, and only through the church can this really happen in this way, as as fully as as it does, we actually take our place alongside of those people who are already in heaven. And so our prayers, it's almost like, we we chime in with the choir. It's already singing. We start singing along with them. We stand next to the the great singers in the choir, and we kind of sing along with them, and they, they kind of help us to become better singers, because we listen to them, we watch them. They kind of motivate us. Well, it's the same thing in liturgy. We get motivated to pray by aligning ourselves with the saints and angels who are already in heaven, praying to God very perfectly forever. And so in the liturgy of the church, we heightened our prayer, which is Reason number one billion, why being at church is so vital, so important. And there's actually a hierarchy of saints. You have saints who are bishops, who are martyrs. You have saints who are prophets, angels. Those are very high up. Then the apostles. And you have saints who are canonized saints for their heroic virtue. Then below that, you have those who are what we call wonder workers, confessors, uh, venerables, in other words, they're all different categories of holiness, and the full-blown saints are the ones we know absolutely are in heaven with God. The rest we safely assume they are, and so we pray to them, but the ones who are declared saints we know are absolutely in heaven because what pronounces them as a saint, what determines that is not only their heroic virtue on earth, but also their miraculous intercessions for us on earth, intercessions that can actually be proven to be miraculous because nothing else explains them, and yet they're so very, very real. So, saints are declared such because they are declared such by people who knew them or knew of them, declared that this is a holy person who was capable and practiced heroic virtue, whatever kind, whether martyrdom or just the holiness of their their lives, what they gave witness to, and so on. But also because after they enter the next life, as people have prayed to them, we can document that their intercession was in fact the only thing that explains certain miracles. And generally they have to have two or three of those documented. And believe me, they are well documented. This is not something that's very fly-by-night. It's not something taken superficially. The church really, really puts these stories of miraculous intercession through the grinder. They really put it through the mill to test it. And you come to the point where there was something very, very, very unusual that happened that can't be explained medically or otherwise, but yet it did happen. And that's how they come to that conclusion that the saint interceded for them, and therefore that saint is indeed in heaven. In the preparation of the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ before the liturgy actually starts, in the eastern churches there is a rite of preparation during that rite of preparation there is actually a mention of these categories of saints, the hierarchy of saints and for every mention of that hierarchy the priest says during that rite of preparation, he takes a particle of the bread, of that single loaf that everyone will receive from that will become the body and blood of Christ and he puts it on the discos It's called the commemoration. So this is how fully, just one example, there's so much more to this. This is how fully, how real saints are in the churches and in particular in the liturgical life of the church, the Byzantine and the Eastern churches. Our goal in life is to become a saint and the saints that are saints are there ready to help us. All we have to do is imitate them, know about them, and ask for their intercession. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com
0: and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. WTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a, a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth
1: and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening.